Hi everybody, Jimmy DeYoung. Welcome to Prophecy Today. I'm not in Chattanooga, Tennessee, which is broadcast central, but instead uh, almost a thousand miles away in Oklahoma City. We have temporary studios here in Oklahoma City. I'm going to be speaking tomorrow, one-day prophecy conference at the First Baptist Church in Moore, Oklahoma. That's a suburb of Oklahoma City. Uh, Dr. Kevin Clarkson is going to be the pastor who welcomes us to his pulpit to teach Bible prophecy. He's also the host of a program called Prophecy in the News, a TV program that we produced two programs of yesterday. We'll let you know when they're going to be aired across the country. By the way, it's been some bad weather here in Oklahoma City. Glad it's clearing up for Sunday, a beautiful day on Sunday, as we come together to study the prophetic Word of God. We've got late-breaking news as we open the broadcast. Here is the information we have just received as of yesterday morning, early Friday morning, at the State Department in Foggy Bottom in Washington. The Secretary of State, Tillerson, announced that they will move the U.S. Embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem on May 14 and 15 during the time of the 70th birthday celebration for the Jewish state of Israel. I've got to tell you, I had a gut feeling that was going to be the case. Remember, Vice President Mike Pence was in Jerusalem. He said it would be in 2019 about this 70th anniversary event happening in May there in Jerusalem. We'll see not only the celebration of the 70th birthday for the Jewish state, but in addition to that, They're going to see the U.S. Embassy moving from Tel Aviv into Jerusalem. We'll have more on that after my conversation with Ken Timmerman a bit later in the broadcast. So keep the dial set. All of our broadcast partners standing by to interact with us about the late current events happening in our world. Well, from Oklahoma City, where it's been raining and freezing rain and snow and everything else for the last couple of days, we go to Ken Timmerman. We have, Ken, a lot of things to discover on the agenda, and one of them is that the Prime Minister of Israel, Benjamin Netanyahu, now this is not a Middle East news update that David Dolan will give us, but no, this is finding out from you What did take place there at the Munich Security Conference in Munich, Germany, when the Prime Minister of Israel stood up with a piece of that drone from the Iranians who had sent this drone actually into Israeli airspace, and so Netanyahu challenged the foreign minister of Iran there at the conference in Munich, said, do you recognize this? You ought to, it's yours, and we're going to come after you if you don't quit messing around. Boy, that's that's a pretty big threat for the little nation of Israel, is it not? Well, and it was pretty graphic as well. Uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu has done this repeatedly, holding up props at the United Nations and other places, and it's been very effective. I mean, in this particular case, as you say, he held up a piece of the drone, a piece of the fuselage from this drone, blackened from the fire as it came down, and uh, he looked directly at the Iranian foreign minister who was there and said, you recognize this, as you mentioned, and the Iranian foreign minister, of course, didn't respond. But uh, Netanyahu was making the point that Iran has become a threat not just uh, to Israel, but to uh, all the nations in the region and even to the Europeans. And it was time to rein them in. They were 
taking over Syria. They're creating bases now in Syria, uh, even on the Mediterranean in, in the sea, uh, from which they could expand, obviously, up into Europe very easily because there's a short hop across the Mediterranean to get to Europe. And he said uh, Iran is changing the ground rules, and as ISIS gets pushed back, Iran moves in. And of course, that's factually true. Iran is moving into all of those areas in Iraq and Syria that have been cleared of ISIS fighters, and they are moving right to the Israeli border. So Netanyahu basically issued a warning to Iran, be very, very careful. There are real red lines here, and you have crossed them. You had better move back. And that was a pretty stark warning at Munich, and it was taken very seriously in Tehran. Well, and soon after the Netanyahu speech there at the security conference in Munich, Iran went tit for tat. An official from Iran said, if Israel attacks us, we will level the city of Tel Aviv. I mean, Iran's not going to back off either at this time, are they? Well, they're not, but this was a very significant statement. It was by Mohsen Rezaei, the former head of the Revolutionary Guards Corps, the Tastaran, right? And, uh, uh, and he was speaking in Tehran. He still holds a senior government position in what they call the Expediency Council. But Rezaei knows exactly what he's talking about. This was not an idle threat. It was not even a veiled threat. It was an open nuclear threat to Israel. We will wipe Tel Aviv off the map if you dare to attack Iran. Now, Rezaei knows, the reason I can tell you he knows exactly what he was talking about is because he was in charge of the nuclear weapons program in the 1990s. Uh, I got to know about Rezaei through his son, Ahmad, who uh, defected to the United States in 1999 and, in fact, uh, stayed with me for about six months and learned English in our basement watching Jackie Chan movies. And Ahmed uh, told me uh, many, many stories about his father, but one very significant one in this context. He went with his father in 1993 on a trip to uh, North Korea and to China. And while he was in North Korea uh, talking to the North Koreans about a new missile that they were building together, a joint project which later on became known as the Shahab-3, the one that was designed to attack Israel, to carry a nuclear weapon against Israel, he also talked to the North Korean leader about uh, nuclear warheads that the Iranians had managed to purchase on the black market, disassembled in the former Soviet republics, uh, the stands, right, Kazakhstan and Tajikistan, and they were missing some parts. And he asked the North Koreans for help in putting those back together, and the North Koreans said, yes, we have exactly what you need. So already then, they knew they had a modest uh, nuclear capability. It was not a deterrent. Today, Iran, I believe, has a nuclear deterrent capability. They probably have a number of weapons ready to go whenever they would need them. So most of Rezai was threatening Israel with nuclear destruction in the event that Israel decided to take action against Iran, as Netanyahu was saying they might have to do. Ken, last week you talked about uh, the Ottoman Empire and how powerful it was in the past. And, in fact, uh, the leader of Turkey, President Tayyip Erdogan, is wanting to revive the Ottoman Empire. Now he comes out this week and vows that's exactly what he's going to do. He's going to move to recapture all the land that was once held by the Ottoman Empire. He means business, doesn't he? 
It, it's really extraordinary, Jimmy, to hear what Erdogan says. And I'm going to cite that in just a second, but hear what he says, and then to hear the overwhelming silence from his neighbors and his neighbors who lead the very country that he's telling people he's going to invade and reconquer. So here's what he said last week. He said, those who think, this is a quote from Erdogan, those who think that we have erased from our hearts the lands from which we withdrew in tears a hundred years ago are wrong. We say at every opportunity, Erdogan went on, we have that Syria, Iraq, and other places on the map of our heart are no different from our own homeland. We are struggling so that a foreign flag will not be waved anywhere where the Islamic call to prayer is recited. So he's basically telling Syria and Iraq, which were part of the Ottoman Empire, we're going to reconquer you. And the Iraqi and Syrian leaders are saying nothing. You know, it's interesting that he is moving that direction, and the entire Middle East is right on the verge of a a major war. It looks like they're fighting each other. I've read the last chapter in God's Word. They'll come together to go against their main enemy and the enemy of all of them, which is the state of Israel. But Saudi Arabia, now, they're putting out the word. They are in pursuit of a nuclear program, which is actually the first step to developing a nuclear weapon of mass destruction, is it not? Well, it certainly could be. Now, the Saudis are saying they're in negotiations, actually, with South Korea to build two nuclear power plants, and they're saying they want to build, I think, something like 10 altogether over the next uh, 10 or 15 years so they can basically reserve their oil for export sales and hard currency income. Now, the the Saudis will undoubtedly uh, sign a additional protocol with the International Atomic Energy Agency, which means that they will be subject to inspections by international inspectors. They'll have to keep track of all the nuclear material that they import. But that doesn't mean, as you say, that they cannot divert material or conduct parallel research into nuclear weapons capability. Everybody assumes that's what the Saudis mean, but it is not necessarily the case, not yet. We have to wait until they get further along this program. This is just the opening move in a long chess match. And indeed, if they become nuclear-powered, that could mean a nuclear race in the Middle East is going to be the at the top of the agenda for every one of these Middle Eastern nations, which does not bode well. Oh, well, actually, it fits right into the end-time scenario of God's Word, doesn't it? Well, that's that's right, Jimmy, and and it won't be the first time. Remember that Saddam Hussein was in an arms race, a nuclear arms race, both with Israel in the early 1980s and with the Iranians. So this is not the first time there's been a nuclear arms race. In the the earlier cases, Saddam was disarmed by an international coalition that wiped out his weapons capability in the early 1990s and again after the 2003 war. The Iranians, however, were left to keep their nuclear weapons programs and their capabilities. And so they are now currently in a kind of nuclear standoff with Israel. And it's because of the geopolitical activities that we have just covered in our conversation with Ken Timmerman that we bring him back to this broadcast table so often to be able to give us the great insight we need to understand how these events are actually setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. Ken, thank you so very much. We'll talk to you again next week. Always my pleasure, Jimmy. God bless. We're going to take a break. When we come back, David Dolan's standing by. He's going to give us a Middle East news update. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. 
Prophecy Today is heard all across the USA on the Prophecy Today radio network, but also it is heard around the world through our website at prophecytoday.com. And Jay, there are many other features on our prophecytoday.com website, like daily news updated out of the Middle East as it pertains to what's happening prophetically. Special reports can be heard right on our website at prophecytoday.com. We have Prophecy Q&A available for you. Questions asked in the past can be answered on the website if you just check it out and go to that particular spot. Prophecy Quiz is available, and parts of our Prophecy Today program, if you should miss any part of it, will be heard the next week right here at prophecytoday.com. And don't forget, you can even email your questions to us for our live radio broadcast. Just go to our website at prophecytoday.com. You'll be amazed, you'll be surprised at what you'll find on our website. Be sure to visit us at prophecytoday.com on the World Wide Web. Have you ever wanted to know more about God's plan for the future? Have you ever tried to understand prophetic passages in God's Word, like, say, the book of Revelation, and been frustrated at not being able to figure it out? Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest CD series, Keys for Unlocking God's Plan for the Future, will help you gain the ability to understand where to start in your study of prophecy and allow you to read God's Word in a new and exciting way. Understanding God's prophetic Word will allow you to live a pure and productive life until Jesus returns for the church. Keys will help you gain the tools you need to understand the end-time events as foretold in God's Word. Dr. DeYoung lays out a systematic approach to Bible prophecy for those who want to know God's plan for the future. Tracks included are A Roadmap Through the End Times, The Jew in Jerusalem, Daniel and the Antichrist, Ezekiel and Messiah's Temple, and Revelation and Babylon. To order your copy of Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's Keys for Unlocking God's Plan for the Future, visit our website at prophecytoday.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. We move into my second conversation with one of my broadcast partners, David Dolan. He has a Middle East news update for us. We'll go to David in just a moment. I want to remind you that we're here in Oklahoma City in temporary studios, actually more Oklahoma, which is a suburb city of Oklahoma City. We're going to be at the First Baptist Church in Moore, Oklahoma, all day Sunday, starting at 9.30, 11 o'clock, 5.30 in the afternoon, and a prophecy Q&A. It's going to be a great day, a one-day prophecy conference. This is a church I've never been in before, looking to meeting all the fine people there. The people have been under the leadership of Dr. Kevin Clarkson. He is also the host on Prophecy in the News, a television program that later this afternoon I'll be appearing on. We'll do a couple of programs and then at the church all day with Pastor Clarkson tomorrow. Come and join us if you can as we study Bible prophecy. Well, at this broadcast table right now, David Dolan, the man who covers the Middle East for us. And David, immediately out of the gate, let me talk about Prime Minister Netanyahu. He was in Munich, Germany this week at the Munich Security Conference. I believe this was the first time he has spoken at this conference where world leaders come together to discuss the issue of security. And it was interesting, the Prime Minister's speech, he stood up, 
held a piece of that Iranian drone that came into Israeli airspace. The Israeli Air Force shot it out of the air, and the Prime Minister brought along a show-and-tell item, and he looked directly at the Foreign Minister of Iran. He said, do you recognize this? You ought to. It's yours. And then he said, if you don't quit messing around, we're coming not only at your proxies, all of those who may be associated with Iran, we're coming directly to your place as well to deal with Boy, that's an unveiled threat that uh, the Prime Minister of Israel made to Iran. They better be paying attention, would you not say? Well, indeed, Jimmy. And again, we have to go back to the beginning of this whole conflict. It's not Israel's at all. Iran chose to, you know, send forces into South Lebanon in the early 80s, and I was there at the time. They helped form a militia, later called the uh, Party of Allah, or Hezbollah, in the Bekaa Valley. They started attacking Israeli soldiers and haven't stopped since, in one form or another. Uh, They don't have a border with Israel. They're not in Lebanon. They're not in Syria. They're not in Iraq. They're in Iran, uh, uh, nearly a thousand miles to the east of Israel. And yet, here they are today with a bunch of bases in Syria that Israel struck right after that uh, drone was brought down. And then, of course an Israeli F-16 by Syrian uh, Russian-built anti-aircraft missiles right after that. So Israel struck back into Syria. They have uh, its full force in Lebanon, uh, thousands of men and hundreds of thousands of rockets with their leader, Nasrallah, under the Iranian thumb, uh, declaring all the time virtually that Israel will be destroyed and at any time they're going to attack Israel. And Once again this week, Jimmy, we've had stepped-up security measures throughout Israel. We had every single classroom in the country from Sunday, which is the first day of the school week in Israel, until uh, Friday, which is usually a day when most kids don't go on Saturday. They had drills in every single school for a ballistic missile attack. And the kids were heard the sirens, and, you know, they knew what to do, but they went to their shelters and they did the things they're supposed to do in case of a ballistic uh, missile attack that could carry chemical or nuclear bombs. And, Jimmy, as tragic as the shooting in Florida was and these other shootings we've had in America, I heard one of the young students say, well, you know, we have to face this every day, this threat in our classrooms. And, you know, when our parents were alive, they didn't. Well, maybe not, but when I was a kid, we thought we were going to get nuked by the Russians, by the Soviet Union. Well, the Israelis live with this threat, the school children and everybody else, every single day. And, Jimmy, it's not been mentioned hardly at all. I've only seen it once in the news. But that Iranian drone was an exact duplicate of one they captured from the United States. This was an exact duplication uh, and that was uh, captured by, well, it was operating over Iranian airspace. So the U.S. was doing a little looking at their nuclear facilities probably. This was several years ago. It was shot down by Iran. We tried to go in and retrieve it. We didn't succeed. They got it. They studied it. They patterned it. And they built this new, very powerful drone. And, again, we're not talking about a little thing in the park that most people see every day, uh, almost today. We're talking about a a large object that can carry bombs, that can carry chemical weapons, uh, electronic listening devices, and all that other stuff that they have on them, uh, worth many millions of dollars. And undoubtedly, not only did Netanyahu show that to make his point to the Iranians and the rest of the leaders that were there, but to uh, the United States, reminding them that, hey, we've got... uh, 
we've got this war going on that we never started, that we don't want, that they're coming after us, and this is now what's happening. And, of course, the Iranian foreign minister got up and called it a comic show, and, you know, Netanyahu's just, again, uh, making hay with this sort of thing. But, you know, like Nikki Haley did when she held up the Iranian-made missile that struck Saudi Arabia several months ago, she held that up at the United Nations, a portion of it. So Netanyahu said, hey, here's the proof, folks. We're not making these things up. They are attacking us, not the other way around. But boy, Netanyahu made clear several times after that, we're ready to respond in kind and much more forcefully even than we're attacked. It was also interesting to me that after that speech there in Munich, the foreign minister of Iran stood up and said, or at least one of the officials said there in Iran, that if Israel should attack Iran, they were going to return and level Tel Aviv. Boy, tit for tat there. Well, yes, and Jimmy, it's very unlikely that Israel's just going to one day, one morning, attack Iran, and we're going to hear that on the news. Israel has unilaterally, without notice, nobody knew, they went and attacked. That's not likely. What's likely is they are going to start, just as <laughs> they obviously knew this would be viewed as rather provocative, to send a, a very sophisticated new drone into Israeli airspace, and they probably knew it would be shot down, and they probably knew the Israelis would respond militarily. These are all excuses that they set up for the consequential actions. So I expect what we'll see, Jimmy, is something from Hezbollah, something major probably, something along Israel's borders, and at that point, Israel will respond to Iran if indeed it's a major enough provocation, especially if they do once again open up with rockets from Lebanon, uh, maybe also from Syria now, into Israeli cities. If they start hitting Tel Aviv, they start hitting Jerusalem again. That, I think, will be it for this prime minister. You know, why sit around and undergo these threats every day? Why wait for the next war? Let's go and take care of it. We know they still have their nuclear facilities. We know where they are. We know they have their centrifuges still ready to be turned on tomorrow. And within, as they said, six days, they could be producing nuclear uranium again. Uh, We know where they are, and let's go get them. I think that's what we're going to see. So if you see something along that border, uh, Israel and Lebanon, and it's pretty major, then I would really be looking to the east to see what Israel does to Iran itself. David, I've got to ask you about a report coming out of Jerusalem that the United States ambassador to Israel, uh, David Friedman, has warned a group in a private meeting that if indeed Israel tries to evacuate the Jewish settlements there in Judea and Samaria, that could spark a civil war. What are your thoughts about that statement from the U.S. ambassador to Israel? Well, I don't think there's any question about it, Jimmy. We saw a near civil war over the relatively minor Gaza withdrawal, where 8,000 Uh, Jewish residents of the Gaza Strip were evacuated in 2005 under Ariel Sharon, and we saw the protest movements. We had violence in some of the cities. We had clashes between pro- and anti-withdrawal groups, and that was, again, over 8,000 in the Gaza Strip, the small Gaza Strip. We're talking, in this case, Judea and Samaria, north of Jerusalem, south of Jerusalem, east of Jerusalem, just northeast of Tel Aviv and the other cities. Uh, This is in the heart of Israel, and we're talking about hundreds of thousands of Israelis 
that would have to be evacuated from their homes. Some of them are, are leading military people and politicians, etc. It, it's a huge, unbelievable task that uh, certainly the current government of Israel is not even beginning to think about. So I think he's just saying, again, like his boss, uh, Donald Trump, seems to speak rather bluntly and says, hey, well, this is our embassy, and we're putting in Jerusalem. If you don't like it, that's tough, but it's our embassy. So I think this is the same. He's saying, look, you guys can talk about this as a possible solution. It's never going to happen. It would lead to the dissolution of Israel. The Israelis are never going to allow that. It's just a smart statement from a rather uh, good ambassador, I might say. The Israelis like what they see in him so far. And it's a very interesting connection to Bible prophecy. The book of Ezekiel, chapter 37, verses 15 to 23. I'll discuss that when I take a look in the book later on here on Prophecy Today. David, great report. Thank you always for you being available to us. We appreciate it. We'll talk again next week. Thank you, Jenny. God bless. We're going to take a break. When we come back, Steve Herzig, he's in Israel. We're going to be talking about Purim. Do you know what that is? Well, you need to find out and how you can use it to try to introduce Jesus Christ to your Jewish friends. That conversation all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. The book of Revelation is God's final word to man and the timeline of the last days revealed to the Christians. This symbolism-filled example of apocalyptic literature can be difficult to understand, especially when simply reading it from beginning to end. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest book, Revelation, A Chronology, takes a walk through the prophetic book of Revelation in the order that the events will take place, chronologically, sharing insights into its true meaning and doing so in an easy-to-understand and practical way. If you have difficulty understanding the book of Revelation, get your copy of Revelation, A Chronology, and let Dr. Jimmy DeYoung aid you in your understanding of this profound end-times prophecy book that God has preserved in His Scriptures for for Christians in the last days. To order your copy of Jimmy D. Young's Revelation, a chronology, call us toll-free at 877-674-3298 or visit our website at prophecytoday.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. As mentioned earlier, we're here in temporary studios in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. Boy, it's been a crazy week. We stayed here all week after being there in Edmond at the Fairview Baptist Church. We're going to be at the First Baptist Church this Sunday with Dr. Kevin Clarkson. We're going to have a great time. We're going to have four services on Sunday, 9.30 and then 11 o'clock. And at 5.30, we're going to have our evening service preceded by Prophecy Q&A. If you're in the area, I think the weather's going to clear up for tomorrow, for Sunday. It's supposed to be beautiful. Come and join us, and we'd love to be able to interact with you as we study the prophetic Word of God. Well, we're going now to Tel Aviv, Israel. And I say we're going to Tel Aviv because of the fact our next broadcast partner, who is Steve Herzig, National Director for Friends of Israel, is leading a tour to Israel. 
He just got into the hotel there in Tel Aviv. The rest of the tour will be arriving tomorrow, but uh, you know the leaders have to come in and get a day's rest, so I guess that's what Steve's doing. Steve, you're an amazing guy. Fly all night, ready to do radio with me. I'm so thankful for you being able to be available. Well, Jimmy, it's a privilege and honor to be asked, and when I received the call from Jody, all I said was, if the airplane lands on time, I'll be ready to go. Yeah, well, praise the Lord, the airplane did land on time. What I wanted to talk about, of course, is the upcoming day of Purim, this next Wednesday, beginning at sundown there in Israel and then around the world as well, will be this Jewish holy day, which has a backdrop of the book of Esther. Now, I know there are a lot of things that happen. I'm so glad you're in Israel to be able to talk about this issue. Normally, we catch you someplace here in America, but it's neat that you're there in Tel Aviv, and I hope you have a great tour, by the way. But please, if you will, Steve, talk to us about the backdrop of Israel as we talk about Purim and the book of Esther. Well, Jimmy, it is a delight to be in Israel and knowing that I'll be here when a Purim takes place. Purim is one of three holidays or feasts or special days that I call Feasts of Deliverance. Passover, certainly one, found in Leviticus, and we think of Hanukkah as well. And Purim comes from, as you said, the Book of Esther. And I always think about Purim this way. There are many one-minute-to-midnight moments for the Jewish people. Moses had a one-minute-to-midnight moment before Pharaoh, David before Goliath, Daniel before the lion's den. We have in our history these one-minute-to-midnight moments, and the Book of Esther really presents a one-minute-to-midnight moment as we think of the Jewish people on the pinnacle of death. Haman, who is advocating to wipe the Jewish people off the map, and of course, Jimmy, this is before Jesus Christ was born, the Messiah of Israel. And we think about this one-minute-to-midnight moment. If Satan had his way, the Jewish people would have been extinguished, and there would be no Messiah, no Savior. And, Jimmy, I would not be in Israel, uh, because I'm Jewish, so I wouldn't even be here, but Israel would not be a state. So the Book of Esther and Purim, although a minor feast for the Jewish people, is major in the sense it once again shows that God is faithful to his promise to keep the Jewish people. Ahasuerus uh, was the ruler at the time, and he had issues with his wife, Vashti, and she wouldn't come before a group of men and display herself, and that shamed him. And so they had another contest, uh, a beauty contest, and the Bible records the beauty contest. And, of course, Mordecai, who's raised his cousin and raised her to adulthood, and she enters the contest without telling the king, that she is Jewish. She wins the contest, as a result is in a position to ultimately save the Jewish people when Haman really dupes the king to issue a decree to destroy the Jewish people. Esther steps in, and Purim is celebrated. And Jimmy, it is a wonderful time. I remember as a child, we had a beauty contest for the gals, and I would dress up as either, sometimes I'd be Mordecai or Haman, and uh, we have contests in our synagogue, and there'd be great merriment. The adults were happy. The Jewish people survived. The Jewish people lived instead of being killed. And in our history, with so many difficult periods of time, this is one of the times we celebrate. We 
we joy, and I'm looking forward to that time here in Israel when we see all the kids dressed up in all different kinds of outfits, as once again they'll celebrate for them as well. Well, Steve, unique to the book of Esther's, one of the only books, maybe possibly the only book in the entire Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, that does not talk about or mention God, but yet God is the one interceding to protect the Jewish people. That's an amazing thought, isn't it? You know, Jimmy, what you just brought up, I wish more people would bring up. You know, there's lots of Jewish people who don't even know that. And you're absolutely right. God's name is not mentioned at all, but I would submit to you, he was there all the time. The providence of God is registered on every page as you read through the book of Esther. It's a period of time in our Jewish history when they really didn't want to go back to the land when they had the opportunity. Business was good. They liked where they were, and there was no unction to go other than a religious unction, and I really think you can see the same kinds of thing, things today. People's eyes are not looking upward, they're looking outward, and uh, whether they're Jewish or Gentile, and we don't acknowledge God, and yet God won't forsake humanity in that sense. He'll accomplish his purpose just as he accomplished his purpose in the book of Esther. Without his name being mentioned, in fact, Jimmy, I think clearly the gospel is presented in Esther if a person cares to look deeply. That's great. And indeed, I want to talk to you about how we would communicate during the time of Purim to our Jewish friends, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. We'll do that in a moment. But talk to me, where does the title for this Holy Day come from, Purim? Explain that just briefly for us. Purim actually comes from lots. P-U-R means lots, and the lot fell on the day of Forum, uh, which for us uh, this year is March 1st. So they actually cast lots to determine which day they were going to kill the Jewish people. Of course, the Jewish people had an opportunity to defend themselves because of Esther. And in fact, what's amazing, Jimmy, is, you know, in spite of the fact that Jewish people were encouraged to defend themselves, when Ahasuerus issued a second decree, it still is true, 75,000, over 75,000, attacked anyway, uh, hoping to get the booty from uh, the Jewish people. But that was thwarted. But that's where the name Pur or Purim comes from. Jimmy, I have fond memories of my dad taking me to the synagogue. The whole book of Esther is read. Every time the name of Haman is said, it is one of the few times you're in a sanctuary where the Torah scrolls are, the Bema is there, and yet you have grown men and women and children booing uh, the name of Haman. They use groggers, which are noisemakers, and, and the rabbis encourage uh, the participants to boo and hiss and make noise because the wicked Haman did not get his wish. His name is Mud, if you will, and Mordecai is the hero. So some synagogues will even have cheering. It's like you're at a football or baseball game where you hear booing and cheering all because of the loser, which is Haman, and the victor, which really, again, is God, but certainly Esther and Mordecai and the Jewish people. 
Several times in my past, Steve, I've had the opportunity with some of my Orthodox Jewish friends there in Jerusalem uh, to go to the synagogue and participate in the reading of the book of Esther. Always a unbelievable time to hear everybody in a normally quiet synagogue screaming and yelling and making noise. Well, let's get practical just for a moment, Steve. How in the world could we use Purim as the Jewish people are celebrating it, as Christians who want to communicate the Messiah, Jesus. How could we go about that? Well, there's two ways. The first is just to appreciate the story itself. you got Ahasuerus, who issues a decree that he can't change, and that decree is to kill the Jews, and he's not able to issue a second decree when he finds out his wife is Jewish. And, you know, God issued a decree that he could not change, Jimmy. And you and I know that decree. The soul that sins dies. God can't change that. But what Ahasuerus did was issue a second decree. And what God did is in his plan and program allowed the second person of the Godhead himself to come to the earth and incarnate. You have Haman, the wicked Haman. He's the accuser. He's the one that's going to the, to the king and wanting to wipe the Jewish people out. And of course you have Satan who is the one who tempted Eve, and Adam then fell with Eve, and they ate together and fell, and sin came into the world. But then you have Esther. Esther comes in as the intercessor. Esther says in the text, if I perish, I perish. She was willing to go into the king at the expense of her life in order to try to save her people. And, Jimmy, she did that. Uh, By God's providence, she did that. And, of course, you and I know greater than Esther is the Lord Jesus Christ the only acceptable sacrifice, the only one who could take our sins and make us holy before God. So you have the story that's entirely Jewish, that doesn't involve Christ at all, and stands by itself. But as believers, we can read that book and say to ourselves, by the grace of God, he's done it for us as well. And so when we see our Jewish friends, this is a wonderful time to to wish them a happy Purim. This is a wonderful time to to say, I'm so thankful that God preserved your people, because when he did that, he preserved my Savior, and I owe the Jewish people a great debt, and because Jesus changed my entire life. And you know, when Jewish people hear that connection, they don't get upset, they don't get angry, they get thankful that we would correlate their own holiday or special day and, and realize that for us, it has special meaning. That's a way for us to connect with them, creates talking points and great opportunities, Jimmy. It's, it's just a wonderful day, and I'm so thankful that you call me for these special days because Christians really can connect with their Jewish friends. That's a very exciting thought, how we can use what God has given to the Jewish people to present the Messiah, the true Messiah, Jesus Christ, to our very good and friendly Jewish people. Thank you so much, Steve, for being available. I know it's been a long night. You get there, you get to the hotel, and then I'm interviewing you on the radio. I'm so appreciative of it. Have a great tour with your people, and have a joyful time on Purim as well. Thanks, Jimmy. What a marvelous way to take the book of Esther and use it to present the gospel. I would think that would be effective with Gentiles, but in particular Jewish people. 
Steve with that report on what is beginning on Wednesday evening. That, of course, Purim, a very special holy day for the Jewish people. Well, we're going to bring to these microphones now Dr. Rob Congdon. Rob, how many years has it been? It seems to me 2022. What has it been? Well, it's actually been about 18 from the first time I started recording with you, and then it's been regular for about 16 years. We've been doing it every week. Well, that is something that has been such a key component of our broadcast, looking at the region of the European Union and how they are at least the infrastructure for the revived Roman Empire. The reason I started that way with Rob, sad day as far as Prophecy Today is concerned, Rob's going to have to take a leave of absence. We don't know how long that would be and whether he'll even be able to come back. A couple of medical things, his precious wife, Pam, has to have a hip operation, and Rob is the only caretaker for his dear wife, and I believe his wife is his priority. So that's going to have to cause him to slow down a little bit. He has some physical problems uh, that the medical people are checking on. So I hate it, but I've got to announce we're going to be losing the voice of Dr. Rob Congdon, at least temporarily. We're hoping and praying, and you do the same thing for Rob and the physical problems with the Congdon family but also pray that uh, he may be able to see clear to come and join us again, maybe in the not-too-distant future. Let me say, Rob, thank you so very much. Buddy, you've hit the ball out of the ballpark every single time. Appreciate your your ministry and what you're doing, but your ministry with us as well. Thank you, my good friend. Well, we certainly appreciate it. It has been a great time, and, and yes, we pray that we can work it out and at least come back for some other programs in the future. Well, now, I'm not going to let you get out of doing this last program, so let's get underway with a couple of items we need to be talking about on our look at Europe and the European Union. Rob, often we have talked about the possibility of a European Union military operation, their own army, but now the United States is warning Brussels not to threaten NATO with that European Union army. Is that going to stop the effort by the EU, or what do you think is going to happen there? Well, I, I think both from a prophecy standpoint and just a plain a logistic standpoint, EU is starting to realize they need their own force that they can control. They don't necessarily want the U.S., which is the predominant force in NATO, telling them what to do. There's another element that is kind of in the backstage hidden, and that's with the problems with Turkey. I think the EU is starting to get a little nervous about the fact that Turkey is in NATO, and that might be another step to push the EU to its own military. You and I both have felt prophetically, ultimately, the European Union is going to need its own military force. And um, certainly President Trump talking about America first has caused Europe to rethink that perhaps they need their own military because they know that the United States will be looking out for the U.S. first. I I, I think this is going to be one more step. You and I first hinted at it, uh, oh, more than months ago, a couple years ago maybe, that this is where it was going to be heading. It is now accelerating the mere fact that uh, some of the U.S., and those are mostly NATO people, getting fearful of Europe kind of dropping NATO. They don't want to lose their position, but the EU will probably have to move to its own. 
I've got to talk to you now about Turkey since you brought the subject up. Tayyip Erdogan making the statement this week. He is vowing to recapture all the land which was once held by the Ottoman Empire. And those are not only Middle Eastern nations, but uh, nations in Europe, the Romanian, other nations like that. Boy, that's a very interesting move by Taya Berdawan, isn't it? That is. That's exactly where we've started seeing him. And, and again, you and I talk prophecy, but I see Ezekiel relating to Turkey also. Uh, I have said many times, people outside of the United States don't understand, there are very, very long memories when you get out of the United States and other countries. Uh, Erdogan said that they still remember when they withdrew from those lands, the Ottoman Empire, in tears a hundred years ago. Uh, he is being true Islamic, trying to regain the lands that were lost, because that would be an insult to Allah that they can't regain those lands that they once had. He is driving hard. He is going to be pressing for far more countries than most people think. Right, uh, right now, the next target, I would say, for him is Syria, Iraq, and Greece. He wants to get control of them. But after that, as you mentioned, he's going to move into the Balkans. He's going to be moving around the Mediterranean and the southern coastline there. The Ottoman Empire, remember, is the one that overcame the Roman Empire, the Eastern Roman Empire. So they want to regain the land for the praise of Islam, and he definitely is the man who wants to be the one who's head of this new Ottoman Empire of today. Folks, you can understand why I've gone on a weekly basis for 16 years straight to Dr. Rob Congdon. He's a man who understands the European Union. He understands that region of the world, what the significance of it is as it relates to Bible prophecy. And it's going to be a vacuum that I hope we're going to be able to fill and then have Rob maybe be able to work it out temporarily to be able to come back with us. Rob, thank you so very much. We'll be praying for you and Pam as it relates to these medical situations that you have. And God bless you, my good friend. Hope to talk to you on the radio again real soon. Well, we do too, and I would just stress some people worry. It's not life-threatening our problems, but they are affecting our work capacity at this point. So we appreciate it all. Uh, Jimmy, to be with you, and most of all, over these 16 years, it has changed from just a radio interview to a real friendship. So we know that's going to continue, and the many listeners that we've gotten to know through this, we appreciate them and look forward to the future and pray that we can again have some time to discuss world events in light of the prophecy of the Bible. Lord bless you. You know, I'm going to miss old Rob. He was always on target when we would talk about politics in the European Union and then so easily slip into prophecy. Well, you be praying for Rob and Pam and their medical problems, and we're going to pray that Rob will be able to be behind the mic again with us real, real soon. Right now, we're going to the Pentagon area in Washington, D.C., Colonel Bob McGinnis. He's the man. When we have a situation, a current event that's happening at that location, a very key location in this world, because it controls, at least the Pentagon has responsibility over the military might of the United States, the superpower of the world. And Bob, what has actually come up this week is that situation about the transgenders that would serve in the United States military. 
Now, I, I'm thinking that there's some mixed things happening out there. I wanted to try to clear it up with you. I knew you could do that. Uh, talk to us, first of all. What about the Secretary of Defense? And has Jim Mattis made a decision and made it public yet? Or is it just inner office activities that are actually going on right now? It would appear as if there's been a review board that has not been released, the results about the transgender issue, and that uh, Mr. Mattis has seen it, and the report has gone to the White House. So what you're hearing in the press is essentially people leaking uh, advanced you know, understandings as to what uh, the review board said and what the secretary is recommending to the president. And what he would appear to recommend, if the reports are correct, is that uh, Mr. Mattis is supporting the continuation of service by transgenders. Now, of course, these are people that are diagnosed with a gender dysphoria. Uh, basically, uh, they believe that they're of the other gender. They're DNA deniers is what I like to call them, uh, people that are tro- truly confused. Uh, it's a problem for the U.S. military for a number of reasons. One, it is a, an expense. You know, inevitably, and this has already taken place at taxpayer expense, some people have gone in and had a surgical procedure, which is very expensive, take place. And then once they've gone through the surgical procedure, they have to, for the balance of their life, go through hormonal treatments because they have to continue to confuse uh, their biology as to what they really are. So this is a procedure that lasts some time and the recovery and, of course, the, the ongoing hormonal treatment, which is very, very expensive. Now, given that we have a fairly hefty medical bill already because of wars and people that are hurt and so forth, that this would seem to be a rather frivolous, unnecessary expense. Now, then that's just part of it. The other part is the readiness issue. Of course, being one of the authors of Don't Ask, Don't Tell back in 93, I told Congress that this was a political agenda by the left, by the radical homosexual community, that, one, they wanted so-called homosexual marriage, they wanted so-called moral equivalency with heterosexuality, and, of course, they wanted things like transgender uh, people to be able to serve along with the homosexual, lesbian, homosexual, gay men and the like, bisexuals. But there's no evidence as to how they would contribute to readiness, which is the the ludicrous argument that I'm hearing from the, the Mattis people. Well, and in fact, I understand that what he is saying is he's going to allow transgenders to be in the military service if they're deployable. What does that term mean, deployable? Well, it's interesting. In the last week, the secretary has come out with a pretty bold statement saying there are about a quarter of a million people in the armed forces today that are non-deployable, which means they have medical conditions or mental conditions conditions that would preclude them from being shipped to a war zone. Now, there are a lot of young women that are pregnant that can't be shipped to a war zone. There are a lot of people that are temporarily uh, unfit because they've gone through operations or they've broken a leg from you know, a variety of reasons. Uh, and then there are other people that are permanently non-deployable into war zones, not fit for combat for you know, you know, a thousand reasons. So he is basically saying, if you can't deploy, get out. And so this decision, if it is a decision to keep transgenders in, seems to me to fly in the face of that policy. He wants the policy so he has more combatants that can go into war zones. 
And so why in the world would you want to keep a cohort of people that are already costing more than the average soldier because of operations and hormonal treatments? Uh, but also, questionably, it's going to contribute to the readiness of the force, as we've seen over the years in terms of cohesion and the like, which I've written about extensively. Uh, you know, I find it upsetting, to say the least, uh, certainly not you know, in the best interests of the United States military, much less the United States of America. And we're the laughingstock, I think, of uh, militaries around the world that, you know, know better than this is not something that's in their best interest. One final question for you, Bob. What do the rank and file think about this? Is this a bad situation on morale for the troops themselves? Well, those that understand the issues, of course it would be. Uh, you know, but keep in mind, Jimmy, the, the armed forces has been politically correct, certainly since the time that I left. You know, back in 93, when I was uh, working on the task force that wrote Don't Ask, Don't Tell. People were really upset about this and upset at Bill Clinton as the president for pushing this. Well, over the years, the politically correct cadre have come into the Pentagon and throughout the military have reinforced these radical views about uh, men, women, and homosexuals and to the point that nobody is going to speak out because of the repercussions associated with uh, being against what was perceived as a politically correct view. And so uh, whether it's homosexuals or women in direct ground combat or it's transgenders in the ranks, you'll find very few openly speaking out. But there are many that you know feel down deep that this is a, a very bad decision for the wrong reasons. Final decision, of course, is going to be made by President Trump, no matter what the Secretary of Defense may recommend. And we'll follow up in a conversation with Colonel Bob McGinnis. When that does happen, we'll tell you exactly what we believe God's Word says as it relates to these political events and, of course, the future, the prophetic scenario of God's Word. Bob, thank you for your service. Thank you for assisting us as a broadcast partner with us today. Well, thank you, Jimmy. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, I'm going to go to the top of the hour, and we're going to talk about Billy Graham and Jim Baker. You don't want to miss that. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung here. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. As I've already mentioned, we're in Oklahoma City. Had some lousy weather for the last couple of days, but tomorrow I'll be at the First Baptist Church in Moore, Oklahoma. Moore is a suburb of Oklahoma City. Dr. Kevin Clarkson is going to have us in his pulpit, a one-day prophecy conference. Now, I mentioned the bad weather only to say tomorrow it is supposed to be beautiful. If you don't like the weather in Oklahoma City, just wait a couple of days and you'll have some beautiful weather. I'm just so glad that we are not here in the time when they have the tornadoes coming in. This is Tornado Alley. Anyway, we are so thrilled with the opportunity to be at First Baptist Church. All-day prophecy conference. We're going to start in the morning at 9.30, 11 o'clock, and then 5.30 in the afternoon, the evening service, and a prophecy Q&A. You can come and join us. First Baptist Church, Moore, Oklahoma, will be there waiting for you. Would you do me a favor? Go to my website, prophecytoday.com. I want you to 
respond to our poll question. And the poll question is this. With the announcement by the United States government that the U.S. Embassy in Israel, located in Tel Aviv, will be moved to Jerusalem, and of course the declaration from President Trump about Jerusalem being the political capital of the Jewish people, do you see prophecy in the position that it can be fulfilled as it relates to Jerusalem, and that relationship would be a city of controversy, according to Zechariah chapter 12 and verse 2. Do you see this prophecy at the point of being fulfilled because of the announcement about the U.S. Embassy moving to Jerusalem? Now, that's my poll question. If you'll go to my front page, my home page there on Prophecy Today, we'd be thrilled to have you answer the poll question. And while you're there, you need to find out about our trips that take you into Israel with us. We'd love to have you come and go. We have six different tours this year. Love to have you go to the land of the Bible, walk in the footsteps of Jesus Christ, look at Israel past, Israel present, and Israel future. It helps you see the Bible come alive. That web address, prophecytoday.com. We now bring to these microphones David James. David and I will have our weekly conversation and we'll focus on an issue that is key to the body of Christ, to the church, one that we must have a biblical perspective of. We're going to be talking with David, and this issue is key. You need to understand why we discuss it and consider what we have to say from what God's Word has to say. Now, David, uh, I'm going to be talking with you, of course, in just a moment about the death, the homegoing of Billy Graham. By the way, he made a very interesting statement uh, just prior to his death. He said that, you know, you may hear that I have died. That is not true. I am more alive today than I have ever been. I've just changed my address. Well, that was a, a precious thought. That's what will happen to all of us, should the Lord tarry. I want to talk about that in just a moment. But as I understand it, you've got a couple of weeks home, and then you head north up to Word of Life Canada. Is that correct? That's right. I uh, just I haven't even been back from uh, Uganda right on the equator a week yet, and now making plans to head up north to the North Pole. I guess that's, that's about as far away as you'd want to get in, in terms of distance as well as temperature. But I'm always thankful to, to work with the folks up there at Word of Life, teaching God's plan through the ages for the third time this year, having taught it both in the Philippines and Uganda already. And uh, we'll be teaching it three more times uh, beyond that before the end of May. Well, we had a great ministry, Judy and I, for many years at Word of Life Canada. Loved teaching those students up there. And me, people used to ask me, is that near the North Pole? I said, well, not actually at the North Pole, but you can see it from Owen Sound. So you better take a lot of warm clothing with you as you go that way. Well, David, this week marked the passing, the homegoing of Billy Graham into the presence of the Lord, of his Lord, on Wednesday at the age of 99. What have been some of your thoughts as you have considered his life and his legacy over these last few days? 
Well, I have given it quite a bit of thought, and, you know, I told some people that I'm neither an apologist nor a defender of Billy Graham per se, because, of course, there there were some controversial philosophy of ministry decisions that he made and incorporated into the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association, and then also some statements in his later years that would be of some concern. But I was talking with my wife last night about this whole issue, and she said, well, you do have to give credit where credit is due, and I would certainly agree with that. You know, as I've as I've thought about it, his ministry going back into the 1940s. In fact, I saw a picture on Facebook with him uh, and his wife Ruth, and then Jack Wirtz, and the founder of Word of Life Ministry that I was with for 21 years, uh, and also Harry Ballback and the Rhymers. And so, you know, it's a long association, and and both Jack and Billy were well-known evangelists. And then I would think we'd have to say that, uh, without exaggeration, that Billy Graham, in a simple and clear way, especially uh, in the 50s through the 80s, he preached a clear, simple uh, message of the gospel and probably did that to more people than any other single human being in history. And so it it really is quite a legacy. And the other thing I would say is that, uh, you know, when so many televangelists uh, fall into disrepute, uh, have moral and financial failures, and bring all of Christianity into shame, he, he seemed to have lived a life that was very much above that, and he had personal principles in place to avoid exactly those kinds of things. That is absolutely correct. I was always amazed at how squeaky clean his ministry was. I know that uh, you posted about Billy Graham on your Facebook page a couple of days ago. I saw that posting. What has been the reaction to that, and what have you been seeing on television and the Internet? Because I know you've been watching this coverage. Right. Well, I'd have to say that there's been a mixed reaction. Actually, when I simply pointed out some of the facts that you and I talked about just now, as well as pointing out that, you know, I'm I'm very much aware that he was a he was a flawed man, as we all are, and by God's grace, you know, God uses flawed people. Otherwise, I'd be in serious trouble. And some people have taken me to task. I was even called worldly (laughs) by one person for simply pointing these things out. But I would have to say that the overwhelming number of posts, even the likes on my Facebook page, uh, they have appreciated what they thought was a brief balanced testimony about his life, and I even raised the issue that he preached in Hungary just a couple of years before the fall of communism, and you have to wonder, with his trips to Russia and behind the Iron Curtain, how much he actually contributed to that. And then one other thing I thought was absolutely amazing, how many Christians, born-again believers, there seemed to be on the Fox News Network who very clearly spoke of uh, salvation, Jesus Christ, a clear gospel message, so I thought that was astounding as well. A couple of days ago, David, you sent me an article, a recent article, about Jim Baker's ministry. There's a stark contrast between his life and ministry and that of Billy Graham. That's true. The article that I sent you appeared in the Charlotte Observer uh, online, and the title of the article was Fallen PTL, meaning Praise the Lord, which was the name of his program back in the 80s there at Heritage USA. It says Fallen PTL preacher Jim Baker is back with a new message about the apocalypse. And, you know, uh, he actually spent uh, five years in prison because of mishandling things uh, there at Heritage USA, but also it came out 
that he had had a, an affair, maybe just a brief encounter, but it was enough with a, a, a woman named Jessica Hahn who went on to appear in Playboy magazine. And it really brought, again, disrepute to Christianity, and it caused a lot of people to really turn away from televangelists in general. And so now he's back at, at Morningside in uh, Missouri, I believe it is, and he's essentially doing the same kinds of things. Jim Baker, David, actually seems to be peddling the Word of God for profit. Now, would you say that's exactly what he's doing, creating a market of fear and then selling into that very market he's creating? Well, he absolutely is. You know, when, if you tune into his program, you can find it on uh, uh, certain Christian uh, TV stations as well as uh, YouTube videos as well, and, and also on the website, which has streaming of his broadcasts. And he has survival food sitting many times uh, right there on the desk in front of him and his uh, second wife, Lori Baker, and sitting in front of them and the guests. So it, it's front and center. I was watching him a number of years ago as I was doing some more research research into him and his ministry. And uh, out of his 60-minute program, uh, sometimes there would be 15 minutes or more of hawking these wares. And when you talk about creating a market of fear, it's actually he's he's relying on his theology to, to do this promotion and, and peddle the Word of God. As my understanding, he used to be uh, pre-tribulational, believed that the rapture would occur before the tribulation, but I've read article uh, where he is now post tribulational. So now the point is this, he's trying to uh, generate fear that people, that believers are going to have to survive the tribulation, and he's selling exactly the kinds of foods and supplies, generators, even housing there on his compound for people to survive the tribulation. And I would have to say this, if anybody thinks that they want to live through the tribulation, we know that there are going to be some who survive to populate the millennial kingdom, but there are going to be far, far more who are martyrs. Half the world's population is going to die, and the world is going to become uninhabitable. Who in the world would want to survive that? Well, David, it sounds to me like his eschatology is directing his ministry. So you teach that we go through the tribulation period, therefore we need to survive. Boy, that's fitting right into his marketing plan, is it not? That's exactly right, and and it bothers me, and not just for him, but he basically uses, I would suggest, he uses many of his guests as props to actually continue this marketing ploy. So, to be honest, you know, I, I try to be careful about things I say about people, but when you have someone who is so blatant, uh, I, I personally think it's a cynical ploy, and it's certainly not the way that you handle the Word of God to enrich yourself uh, through through fear. David, I know when you're writing your first book, The Harbinger, Fact or Fiction, the focus of that book, of course, was on the ministry and or the book that Jonathan Kahn had written. He was the author of The Harbinger, and he became a regular fixture on the Jim Baker program, which is a good example of what you've just said. Well, that's right. And, you know, the harbinger for many people, I don't remember now, it's ancient history in today's fast-moving world, but in 2012, uh, his book was the number one uh, selling book, Christian book, uh, in the United States, and it was very controversial, divided ministries, uh, divided families, divided churches. Uh, you and I waded in, uh, kind of uh, went in where angels feared to tread, but uh, we felt it was necessary 
necessary. And one of the things that came out, even when you and I had our on-air discussion with Jonathan Kahn back, I think it was like April 6th of 2012, that he refused to make a statement concerning what he believed was the timing of the rapture. And so that, again, allows him to be used as a prop. And, and it just it's just unfortunate when so many believers are being taken in by this. You know, as we think about the fact that we're going deeper into the last days near the return of Jesus Christ, and of course, seven years before that, the rapture of the church, I would say that we need more discernment greater at this time than ever before. Would you not agree? Well, that's true. For one thing, when you have programs like this on, people become very confused about the Word of God. and they, they don't understand how to handle it properly. Some are lining the pockets of these guys who are peddling the Word of God. We always have to be careful to compare everything against the Word of God, including what you and I say. Uh, nobody should take for granted uh, as gospel what we say if we cannot back it up with Scripture. We always encourage people to compare everything against the Word of God, and people need to know the Word of God more than ever before. It's not what Billy Graham, Jim Baker, James D. Young, or our good friend David James have to say about an issue of any kind. It's what God's Word has to say. That's the bottom line. appreciate you reminding us of that, David. Well, thank you so very much for this very important conversation. Appreciate it. Let me know if you get a response from our friends across the world as they listen to us interact, and we'll go from there. Well, anyway, we'll get together with another issue to discuss next week. Thank you, David. Thanks, Jimmy. Great to be with you again. We're going to take a break, and when I come back, I'm going to take a look at the book. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. In today's world, a biblical worldview and a proper understanding of biblical prophecy should be a priority. At a time when many false doctrines are entering the church at a frightening pace, we must be able to rightly divide God's Word in order to live a pure and productive life for Him. If you would like an in-depth understanding of biblical prophecy, let me challenge you to consider Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's School of Prophets. The School of Prophets is an online study for the layman or student pursuing a master's or doctorate degree. Dr. DeYoung's online study program will allow you to develop a timeline of biblical prophecies of the past, as well as future prophecies yet to be fulfilled. Your personal study of God's Word will only be enhanced by Dr. DeYoung's School of Prophets, and your life will be changed as you better understand, like Daniel, where you fit into God's calendar of events. If you're interested in developing a deeper understanding of God's prophetic Word, let me personally invite you to become involved in Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's School of Prophets. Call today at 8-PROPHECY-8. That's 877-674-3298. Or visit us at schoolofprophets.org. How do you like your news? You know, Jimmy, folks are listening to the news every single day, but sometimes they're getting that liberal bent, and we want them to have a different look at the news. Jay, that's correct. I have listened to ABC, CBS, and NBC when I returned from Jerusalem back to the United States, having just witnessed a news event in the Middle East, and hear the commentators over here speaking something almost different. That's why I write the Until Newsletter, and it takes the leading news stories of the month. I give the absolute truth behind all the details in those headlines, and then we look 
at it from a prophetic perspective. I want to give you the insight from God's Word as to how the political is setting the stage for the prophetic to be fulfilled. And Jay's going to give you the phone number how you can get your free copy of Until the Prophecy Newsletter. Just give us a call at 8-PROPHECY-8. That's 877-674-3298. It's time right now here on Prophecy Today Weekend for us to take a look at the book. We had great reports from our broadcast partners today. And with the announcement from the White House that the United States Embassy in Tel Aviv, Israel, will be moved to Jerusalem in the month of May to coincide with the 70th anniversary of the Jewish Day of Independence, their birthday, is unbelievable in the times in which we are living. I'll discuss that very important announcement in just a few moments, but let me rehearse for you what our broadcast partners reported to us today. We went to the Catbird seat in Washington to talk with Ken Timmerman. He looks at geopolitical activities for us around this world, and we talked about the fact that the nation of Iran, it's an Islamic republic, is posed to replace Islamic State. And with the demise of Islamic State, Iran will step up, fill that void, and become even more dangerous than they have been in the past. David Dolan gave us our Middle East news update. We talked about the Netanyahu speech that took place at the security conference in Munich, Germany, where the Prime Minister of Israel stood up, held a piece of that Iranian drone that came into Israeli airspace and was shot down by an Israeli jet. He held that piece in the air at the conference. He looked at the Iranian foreign minister and he said, Mr. Foreign Minister, do you recognize this? You should because it belongs to you. And if you continue to do this, we're not only going to go after the Iranian proxies in the Middle East, we're coming after you right there in Iran. It was not too very long after that speech by Prime Minister Netanyahu that the Iranian response came and they said, if you attack Iran itself, we will level the city of Tel Aviv. Steve Herzig, in Israel himself, he talked about Purim. It's a special Jewish holy day. It's from the book of Esther. And actually, he told us how that story unfolded from Esther. And the mention of God's name is not in Esther, but God is apparent as he protects the Jewish people. In fact, that is the connection to the name Purim. And also, Steve was able to help us know how to take the book of Esther and present an evangelistic message how to win our Jewish friends to Messiah Jesus through their own book, the book of Esther. Dr. Rob Congdon, and I'm sad to say, made his last appearance on Prophecy Today for a while. He's going to have to take a leave of absence because of medical situations with both his wife Pam and himself, but he still had a great report promised he would endeavor to try to be a part of our broadcast team 
as often as he possibly can, maybe once a month. He talked about Tayyip Erdogan, who made the statement that he wants to recapture all the land that was the land of the Ottoman Empire, and we're talking about a 100 years ago, and this is key to our understanding of what Erdogan's decision to revive the Ottoman Empire may mean with his desire to be the pan-Islamic leader of the world. Colonel Bob McGinnis talked about the transgenders serving in the military. You can listen to that report to see what the conclusion was. We're not quite sure how they have come to that conclusion. David James and I talked about apocalyptic survival ministries that are teaching we go through the tribulation period for the purpose of selling survival material and equipment. Well, you need to listen to all of these broadcast partners You can do that at prophecytoday.com. Go to PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network, and you can re-listen or listen for the first time to each and every one of these broadcast partners. Be sure to tell a friend about this opportunity. Now let's focus on the city of Jerusalem because that special announcement on Friday from the Secretary of State about moving the U.S. Embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, and they're going to do it in the month of May to coincide with the 70th birthday of the Jewish State of Israel. When the Vice President, Mike Pence, said it would be in 2019 that this move would take place, that they might consider doing it on the birthday for the Jewish state. Well, President Trump's declaration of Jerusalem as the political capital and now moving the embassy into Jerusalem is key when you try to understand Bible prophecy as political leaders make political decisions to set prophecy in place. You know, Donald Trump was only about 3,000 years too late because the Lord gave King David the opportunity in Second Samuel chapter 5 to make Jerusalem the political capital. He promised David that. In chapter 6, he made it the spiritual capital. And in chapter 7, the Davidic covenant, he made it the eternal capital. That's Jerusalem past. Jerusalem in the tribulation. Well, Jerusalem, according to Revelation 11, verses 1 and 2, will be the headquarters for that tribulation temple. Chapter 13, the Antichrist will use Jerusalem and the Temple Mount to desecrate the temple, the abomination of desolation, and the world will have to worship the image of the Antichrist facing towards Jerusalem daily. And, of course, Jerusalem will be the center of the theocracy that Jesus will set up when he comes back to the holy city. But until that time, Jerusalem will be a cup of trembling. That's Zechariah chapter 12 and verse 2. What that means is it's going to be the center of controversy. Cup of trembling, an apocalyptic phrase talking about How the juice of the vine, when it starts moving and gets deep red, it's intoxicating, which indicates those who control Jerusalem today are intoxicated with power. Let me just give you this one final thought. Matthew chapter 19 and verse 28. Jesus says, when I set up my kingdom, there will be an opportunity for you to come into the regeneration. I'm talking about the regeneration of this earth. When Jesus Christ comes back, he is going to restore the earth to the way it was at the time of creation in the Garden of Eden. Regeneration in the Greek, paleogenesia, paleon meaning again, genesia meaning Genesis. 
and the Lord will return this earth to the way it was at creation. And of course, the center then was the Garden of Eden, Jerusalem. And by the way, that's where it is today as well. That is my prophetic perspective on the news today. You know, all that I've said on the broadcast and with my conversations that I've had with my broadcast partners, everything indicates we are at the time of the rapture of the church. And my friend, that rapture could actually happen today. And having said that, nothing left for me to say, except let's keep looking up until... Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today.